This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. There will be no trips to Dairy Queen today. No, and it's not because of the bad weather. There is no setback sweetener for you because the Bears let another one get away Sunday, this time to a team almost as bad as the Detroit Lions. Um, the Atlanta Falcons win 27-24. to Yesterday, the Bears fall to 3-8 and eight on the season, and most Bears fans holding their breath today in anticipation of news regarding Justin Fields and his non-passing shoulder, his left shoulder, which was injured late in the game yesterday, but that didn't stop his offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, from calling designed runs with the Bears trailing by three, by the final score, 27-24, and the ball at their own 25-yard line after the kickoff following the long field goal, went into the end zone for a touchback. They've got all that field in front of them, and they choose to call a designed run around left end on the very first play, and Fields gets decked. He goes hard to the surface, and he comes up feeling for his left shoulder, And he was not right. He was knocked silly. He was hit hard. A rough ride yesterday for Fields and perhaps even rougher for Getze. Can we now stop worrying, Bears fans, about whether Luke Getze is going to take a head coaching job somewhere else in the league? How many weeks in a row do you need to see him screw the pooch in the final drive of the game and and then Justin Fields make a terrible mistake. That ball he threw that was intercepted, that ice, it was just awful. But Getze is not the Messiah so many have been pointing him to be yesterday. He proved it. It was just a terrible, terrible play selection down the stretch. I don't know what in the world he's thinking. Calling a run with that little time left in the game. And the Bears, in no apparent hurry getting up to the line of scrimmage and letting such valuable time tick away, that's on Fields, and that's on Getze, and that's on the CEO head coach Matt Eberflus, who pretty much leaves the offense up to Getze and his assistants, and he's got to grab more of this thing by the reins. He has really got to get with his coaches and talk about the development of a quarterback needing more than 20 or 22 throws a game. Another sub 21st century game plan for the Bears. And the Falcons were a lot stingier with Fields yesterday. Sure, he had some electric runs, but nowhere near 
the dynamic performances we were going to see. And how could you expect to see it again? He's been on a record-setting pace of late, rushing yards by a quarterback, but it comes to a halt Sunday in Atlanta. The Bears were not very good defensively either. They they forced one turnover. One of them is special teams, okay? And then on the second turnover, you get Moose Johnston talking about how Matt Eberflus instilling a culture and look at the celebration. Just further proof that so many of these guys wearing headphones just make this shit up as they go. You're just making it up as you go along. Oh, here's a narrative. The Colts, I remember the Colts. They led the league in takeaways last year, and the Bears have taken it away a second time, even though it wasn't a special team the first time. And he starts talking about, oh, look at what he's done. Look at the instilling of pride, and look at this. They're enjoying them. Yeah, they just got a turnover, and they have a lead. They're playing with a lead. And the verbal diarrhea that followed. Just incredible. These broadcasters are making it tough for me to watch football sometimes. They really are. And there was no freaking way I was going to sit with Tony Romo for another Cowboys game. CBS had the the Vikings and Cowboys. No way am I doing that. So I had to, uh, I, I chose the somnambulant. Boy, there's a good word for you. The somnambulant, Greg Gumble doing the Steelers in their date against the uh, the Bengals, because that was the second half of a parlay that came in. How about that? Parlay King. The total in Chicago, Atlanta, I gave it to you on Thursday. I said, I love the over. I parlayed that with the Bengals and snuck by on that one for a big winner and uh, getting closer to even for the year. I think I'm down 90 bucks for the entire season. But just a couple more points about the Bears if I can. I want to get to the rest of the league and also in about 15 or 20 minutes do a tribute to Marion Hosa. To me, that is what is front and foremost for me over the weekend was the celebration of a great Chicago three-time champion, Marion Hosa. And I do want to get to him in just a little bit. I really admire Cordero Patterson of the Atlanta Falcons. And it has taken forever for a team to find him and say, man, we really value what you do. Yet the Falcons still ask him to return kickoffs. And what did he do after a fumble yesterday? After he coughed up a fumble, he returns a kickoff 103 yards for a touchdown. That's a record-setting ninth career TD return for Cordero Patterson. And I was singing his praises this past uh, Thursday on the podcast because I truly believe that he is a fantastic football player. He he's a guy who, if you could do it all over again, knowing what you know, now that he's in his early thirties, he probably would have had a lot more action early on. And they probably would have said right out of the shoot, you know what? You're not a receiver. You're a running back and you're a running back who should have the ball in his hands 15 times a game. He is a punishing runner. As, as lanky as he is, I believe he's 6'2 or 6'3. He gets his pads down and plays at a real good pad level. Um, has tremendous leg drive, tremendous effort guy. A smart player on the special teams. Versatile on offense. Terrific goal line back, even from his days with the Patriots before he came to Chicago. 
Patterson was a guy you could you could count on near the goal line. And he has continued to do that as well as as play out of the slot if you need him to. Just a terrific player. So congratulations to Arthur Smith. And they say that to, through gritted teeth, as you can tell, because I don't have much regard for this franchise. Never have. But they win yesterday. They beat the Bears. The Bears fall to 3-8, and eight, but they are improving their draft position. And with so many people, that seems to be all that matters. All that matters is the development of Justin Fields. All I care about is if Justin Fields is okay. Well, there's more to be concerned about than that because some of the guys who have had their hands in your team not closing with leads of late, some of those guys are going to be on this roster when the Bears are good again. In two or three years, at the most two years, when the Bears are expected to be making a run back toward the top of the NFC North and maybe grabbing a wild card berth, you're going to need the Jalen Johnsons of the world to, to make big plays. You're going to need Braxton Jones to be better than he's been on occasion of late. You will need some of these guys in the secondary too, the youngsters, to stop making the critical mistakes and stop having bad penalties. And there was a bad no call again near the end of yesterday's game. I don't know why the Bears didn't draw, or the Falcons, I should say, didn't draw a personal foul and a late hit on fields when he was down, when he went down with a slide first, he was kind of hit in the shoulder area. Fact of the matter is he'd already committed to the slide and the player didn't let up once the feet of fields went down. Once he, once he started his slide, that player finished his, his tackle. He backed off a little bit, but he still made good contact with him and there should have been a flag there. But, uh, it's it's not been it's not been fun even for me with very little invested in the bears emotionally i turned in that fan card a long time ago because of too much evil in the organization as far as i'm concerned um it, it's it's got to get better you have got to start closing the door on teams with marcus mariota type quarterbacks mariota and the falcons offensively are nothing special but they will, by committee, wear you down. I think seven different Atlanta players touched the ball on their first series of the game, which went for a touchdown, and then the Bears answer very nicely. Um, but Fields continues to drive you nuts with uh, with some of the bad habits. The, the miss to Darnell Mooney early in the game when the Atlanta defender had lost his footing overshooting him that's an easy touchdown and he overthrew him but what is most annoying to me the habit Justin Fields needs to break more than any right now those line drive passes those low liners between the tackles in the middle of the football field that clank off of face masks the back of his offensive lineman's helmets or shoulder pads or forearms, he's getting way too many balls batted, and you're going to get a lot of those that go for the uh, go the other way that get picked and uh, picked and returned for touchdowns when you're throwing the ball that low to the ground the way Fields has done it. You can't throw the ball 
between the tackles that low all the time. He doesn't seem to be getting any more aware of a pass rusher's ability to get up off the ground. And and, and the, the, the first one that was knocked down yesterday the guy was just starting. His, his feet had just left the ground. He hadn't gotten much altitude yet, if you will. And Fields hits him at the in the crown of his helmet with a football. He, he hadn't even left his feet. I always hated that sports expression because it's not really possible to leave your feet unless you're, unless you're willing to be an amputee. But anyway, you get my point. That is chronic with Fields. He's got to knock that off. It's terrible. It's a recipe for disaster in the NFL. The Bears have a Jets team offensively that is even more impotent than the Falcons next week. And I'll get to the Jets in just a little bit as I go around the league and give you my Week 11 bulging NFL notebook. And a tribute to Marion Hosa is around the corner as well. What so many of us thought was going to be the game of the day yesterday turned out to be the dud of the day. Cowboys 40, Vikings 3. Jerry Jones said after the game, you can win a Super Bowl with this team. I think this is the type of group you can get to a Super Bowl with. They look like it yesterday. Tony Pollard was good as a running back, but Great as a receiver. Pollard carried five times for 80 yards, caught six passes for 109 yards and two touchdowns. The Vikings had all of 183 yards of total offense. Dak Prescott, very good yesterday. 22 out of 25, only three incomplete passes the whole day. 276 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He was not sacked. Where did the Vikings go? Where are the guys who just beat Buffalo uh, in a game in Orchard Park? Where'd that team go? Kirk Cousins throwing for 105 yards, sacked seven times. Micah Parsons had a couple of them. Cowboys had the football for 37 and a half minutes yesterday. Shame on the Vikings. What a horrible outing. That's the worst loss by any decent team in the NFL this year. And when I say decent team, I mean elite team. I mean a team people think can make it to a conference championship. And there have been some bad ones too. And a lot of because I'm thinking of other teams as I say that. Now I'm being guilty of Moose Johnson just talking out my ass as I'm as I'm thinking about this. The Ravens had some pretty bad losses earlier in the year as well. And there are a lot of people thinking the Ravens might be good enough to play for the conference championship also. Sunday night football, Chiefs over the Chargers 30 to 27. Kansas City now eight and two. The Chargers underachieving again this year. Five and five. Patrick Mahomes taking another step to his second MVP award. He had 329 yards passing, three touchdowns without a pick. All three TD strikes to tight end Travis Kelsey. And after the game, Mahomes says Kelsey is the best tight end in the history of the game. You know, you can make that argument, and Mahomes did last night. He caught six passes, did Kelsey, 115 yards. Uh, mentioned the three touchdowns. Ten times he was targeted. The Chiefs ran the ball a lot better. The emergence of Isaiah Pacheco continues. Pacheco last night uh, wearing number 10, in case you didn't know. 
Um, the guy who used to wear it, Tyreek Hill, is doing great things in Miami these days. But number 10 in Chiefs red and white, Pacheco, very spirited last night with his uh, his effort. And once again, struggling to stay in the lineup, Mike Williams. Uh, you know, poor Justin Herbert. He's been battling the sore ribs all year. He hasn't had Mike Williams and Keenan Allen for much of the season at all. And Williams limped off again last night, uh, hobbled again by an ankle. Fantasy players who have bolts on their roster, not happy again. Herbert, fewer than 300 yards passing, only two touchdowns. And he was intercepted. Austin Eckler had a touchdown but uh, had only 100 yards of total offense on the day. It's been a while since a Super Bowl champion has fallen so very low, the way the Rams are doing it this year. The Rams lost to the Saints Sunday, 27-10. I'm sorry, 27-20. The Rams fall to 3-7. and seven. Nightmare rolls on for the champs. No cup or coop. No opportunity to do much offensively. Andy Dalton of the Saints pretty much did whatever he wanted yesterday. He threw for three touchdown passes, was not intercepted. 21 of 25 for 260 for the Redheads. Stafford, 11 out of 18 for 159. Two touchdowns, no picks. Leonard Floyd had a couple of sacks for the Rams. So there you go, Bears fans. If you want to jump up and down uh, about your team, letting players go elsewhere, Leonard Floyd didn't really quite get the job done here. Um, But the Rams, uh, a huge, huge disappointment. And I mentioned it's been some time since a Super Bowl champ fell uh, as precipitously as it looks like the Rams are going to. I'm going to do more on that on my podcast later this week, likely on Friday. The Ravens, 7-3 and three now with their 13-3 win over the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers fell to 3-8. and eight. Roquan Smith had six solos and a sack. Those who pronounce Baltimore DOA after a month, and I got to raise my hand and, uh, and say, I'm guilty. I did it. Ravens defense continues to shine and make those of us who projected their death this year look stupid. They gave Baker Mayfield a real rough ride in his first start since, uh, what, week four or week five. They sacked him four times. Mayfield was picked a couple of times. The Panthers couldn't run it either. They had a long run of 10 on the day. 36 yards rushing on 17 attempts. For Carolina yesterday, Baltimore pretty pedestrian offensively as well. Lamar Jackson, 209 passing yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. He ran it 11 times for 31 yards and a touchdown. Baltimore moves on in a sleepy game against Carolina, 13-3 is the final in that one. Let me go back to my earlier game notes because I want to get the Lions on board because I criticized Dan Campbell last week and joked on my terrestrial show about how there's no way the Lions were going to win back-to-back road dates. I was wrong. Brian Dable of the Giants now can put down the pen and stop working on his notes for his coach of the year speech because the Giants lost to Detroit. That's a bad one for the Giants. They're going to survive it. Uh, They're seven and three, still very much apart of uh, the playoff picture and what turns out to be a pretty decent division, unless the slide continues. 
for for the Giants. Daniel Jones was picked a couple of times. The Giants also lost a fumble. No sacks for the Giants. They didn't get after Jared Goff very well. Neither did the Bears the previous week. So the Lions, 31 points again. Look at those Lions winning two in a row. It was Philadelphia 17, Indianapolis 16. I thought Philly was going to bounce back and just beat the crap out of Indianapolis after the Eagles lost to Washington on Monday night. Philly sleptwalked their way through this thing for the first three quarters. The Eagles scored 14 fourth-quarter points to pull it off. Jalen Hurts, a dual threat yesterday, 190 passing yards, one touchdown, no picks. He rushed for 86 yards on 16 carries and a touchdown as the Eagles win for the ninth time with only one setback on their card for the season. It was the Bengals 37 and the Steelers 30. Steelers passing game is improving, but Kenny Pickett's still no match for Joe Burrow. Burrow for 355 and four yesterday. Najee Harris had a nice day running the ball for the Steelers, a couple of touchdowns. 90 yards. Mention the rookie picket. He's 25 of 42 for 265 yesterday. And um, the uh, the backup to Joe Mixon had himself a day coming out of the backfield for the Bengals. Sam Pirine had himself three, <laughs> three receiving touchdowns. So go Sammy and uh, go Bengals. Thank you for the cover. 37-30, the final in Pittsburgh. Greg Gumble, by the way, called Trey Hendrickson of the Bengals. He called him Ted Hendrickson. Like uh, like Ted Hendricks, the old Raiders linebacker, the mad stork, he was fusing the two. Ted Hendrickson is going under the blue medical tent. <laughs> See what's wrong with the mad stork. It was Buffalo 31, Cleveland 23. A workmanlike effort for the Bills. They rushed for 171 yards. I've been asking for that. Not that I care what happens to the Bills this year, but as good as they are, you want to keep your quarterback vertical, uh, don't you, for the postseason? Uh, Josh Allen had only three carries yesterday. So uh, Devin Singletary and James Cook, the younger brother of Dalvin Cook of the Vikings, each rushed for 86 yards. Jacoby Brissett had another decent game for Cleveland. He threw for 324 yards, three touchdowns, did not have a pick on the day, but he is just keeping the chair warm for the $230 million man, Deshaun Watson, who is eligible to return from his suspension in week 13. Getting back to the uh, other sheet of notes I have here, Patriots 10, Jets 3 yesterday, both squads now 6-4 and four on the season. I took some crap last week for not having the Jets or the Giants in my, in my power rankings, in my top 10. Well, guess what? I'm looking a little bit smarter today because both of them crapped the bed. And uh, in the case of the Giants, they did it at home. The Jets did it in Boston yesterday. Rookie Marcus Jones, a third-round pick out of Houston, a cornerback for the Patriots, takes an 84-yard punt return in for a touchdown with five seconds left in the game. So they play 58 minutes plus 
with only one touchdown all day or that until that touchdown is scored. You had a three, three game until the final minutes, the jets were three out of 14 on third down. This is who the bears get next week. You get a jets team that had two yards of offense in the second half, 103 yards of total offense on the day, six first downs. Let me say that again. They had two total yards of offense in the second half. Those are the New York Jets. Oof. Yeah, not in my top 10. Not no way, not no how. Raiders over the Broncos. Remember, the AFC West was going to be real good this year. Yeah, that hasn't happened. The Raiders 3-7 and seven after the victory. Broncos still stuck on three wins as well. Nathaniel Hackett's Broncos remain wallowing in the mire. Um, Derek Carr's second touchdown pass to Devontae Adams was in walk-off fashion in overtime. Adams had seven catches on the day. He was targeted 13 times. 141 receiving yards and a couple of touchdowns. Russell Wilson, 247 yards, but no touchdowns on the day. The Raiders had a nice dual effort from Josh Jacobs, their running back, 24 carries for 109 yards, and he also had 51 receiving yards. Um, Elsewhere, it was Washington knocking off Texas 23-10. to The Commanders are now 6-5. and The Texans are the worst team in the NFL. They're 1-8-1. But I'm starting to wonder if Ron Rivera, who was – rumored to be on a very short leash just about a month or so ago, just might be working his way into conversation for NFL Coach of the Year. Mike Vrabel is a good choice for that, but he just won it last year. Titans were not expected to win the AFC South. They're going to, barring a saluting major catastrophe, but... uh, I don't know, as bad as Washington was early in this season to have rallied to uh, to pull to 6-5, and five, it's going to be hard for them to make the playoffs, and dare I say, particularly in that division. But uh, Rivera runs the football, stops the run, a typical of an ex-bear, right? Run the ball, stop the run, pressure the quarterback. Doug Buffone's three keys. Washington ran it 40 times yesterday for 153 yards and a touchdown. The Texans, and Lovey Smith believes in getting off the bus running, and he has a fine young running back in Damian Pierce, the rookie. They had a long run of four yards Sunday against Washington. Houston ran the ball 16 times for 21 yards, and the commander's defense sacked Davis Mills five times. Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat each with a couple of sacks. Houston was two out of 13 on uh, third down. Washington had the ball 35 minutes. If Rivera were to win coach of the year, he would become only the third guy to do that for two different franchises. Who were the other two? Guys who have won coach of the year on two different teams. No, it's not Jimmy Johnson. No, it's not Mike Holmgren. 
who didn't win either in Green Bay or in Seattle, even though the Packers won a Super Bowl, lost another one in Seattle, went to a Super Bowl. Holmgren never won Coach of the Year. Your answer, Don Shula, who won Coach of the Year with the Colts when they got to the Super Bowl following the 69 season and in 72 as head coach of the perfect Miami Dolphins. I'm looking forward to seeing um, the uh, punctuation for week 11 tonight because I have got a truckload of San Francisco 49ers gracing my fantasy football roster. None more interesting to me than pass rusher Nick Bosa. It's the 49ers and Cardinals tonight. The 49ers are big favorites. I don't like San Francisco laying a big number, even though I, I if, if forced to bet the game, I probably would take them. I'm not forced to play it, though, so I won't. It's a relatively low total, so an over makes sense here, but I'm hoping for lots of lots of big plays for the San Francisco offense because I've got Debo Samuel and George Kittle tonight trying to get off the schneid and win a fantasy week for crying out loud. I mentioned up top, I wanted to talk about Marion Hosa, the former Chicago Blackhawk, for a few minutes. This this podcast almost invariably is is nothing but football, and I make no apologies for that. But as a lot of you who are listeners of mine a long time ago know, hockey is one of my passions. And the Blackhawks, the only team in Chicago for many years now that has been capable of of me still having the ability to look at the world through the eyes of a young boy, through the eyes of a wide-eyed child, excited when you see the logo, still gets that heartbeat up a little bit. Those three championships during Marion Hosa's run with the Chicago Blackhawks, regardless of what we have learned since about backs that were turned on a on a very heinous um, infraction by a Blackhawks member of the coaching staff and people who turned their back on and pretended it didn't exist. That, that doesn't sully for me the memories of those championships and Marion Hosa was an enormous part of what the Blackhawks were able to accomplish. Marion Hosa is without a doubt, the most important free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports. You can make a good argument for John Lester, the Cubs left-hander. Without him, they don't win that World Series probably in 2016. They don't get to it. John Lester also provided tremendous leadership on that staff. Not that it needed a ton of guys to step up and do it, because there was, with a lot of young players, the veterans who were there were terrific leaders, and Jake Arrieta is uh, at the front of that line as well. But Marion Hosa, when he was acquired by the Blackhawks in July of 09, uh, Dale Talon, then the general manager for the Hawks, signing Hosa to a 12-year, $62 million deal, which at the time made Hosa the richest Blackhawk in in organization history until Duncan Keith's contract uh, eclipsed that just uh, about six months down the line. Hosa was a fantastic two-way player. He was so strong on the puck and so much fun to watch when he didn't have the puck because he never stopped working. 
He's his fitness level was about as good as any players I've ever seen. And I mentioned Duncan Keith just a moment ago. He is also in that conversation. But Marion Hosa, who was 31 when the Blackhawks won their first Stanley Cup in the recent three pack of cups, that 2010 Cup was the fourth in franchise history, but the first in the 21st century and the first of the three one under the John McDonough umbrella. I, if I live to be a hundred, which is incredibly unlikely, never will forget the playoff win the Hawks had in the first round of that first playoff, uh, first cup year, April 24th, 2010, Saturday afternoon at the United Center. It's game five in the Hawks' first round series against the Nashville Predators. If the Hawks lose the game, they go back to Nashville down three to two in the series. And Nashville was a team which played the Hawks very well. If you can't remember, because it's been a while since you've seen this now, and it probably been a while since you've thought about it. When the Hawks used to play their Harlem Globetrotters brand of keep away hockey and cycle the puck and just keep possession of the puck for 40 minutes out of 60 every night, that was a, that was a fun era. And in game five of that first round series against the Predators, the Hawks trailed Nashville four to three when Hosa took a five-minute boarding penalty. He's assessed a major for boarding with about a minute to go in the third period. So trailing in the game four to three and about to be down in the series three games to two, Joel Quenville pulls Ante Niemi and the Blackhawks skate five-on-five against the Predators with no goaltender. Five-on-five, no goaltender. And with 13 and a half seconds left, Patrick Kane beat Pecorine, the six-foot-six-inch Nashville goaltender. And the place went absolutely crazy. I, I couldn't have imagined anything more dramatic than what was to follow. When they got to the extra session, the Blackhawks still had more than three and a half minutes of penalty time left to kill. Hosa was still going to be in the penalty box once once the, uh, the extra session starts. So they kill off the penalty and... Hosa had not been out of the penalty box for more than eight or 10 seconds. I don't think when the puck found his stick and he raced in on Pecorine and beat the Nashville goaltender and the Hawks won the game five to four. That was more dramatic and more improbable than anything I witnessed in person in any of the cup years. And I was fortunate enough to be in Philadelphia in 2010 for both legs of the trip, but most importantly, game six, Patrick Kane's mysterious overtime game winner that gave the Hawks their first cup in 49 years. And again, in Boston in 13, 
experiencing at TD Garden, 17 seconds. Uh, the big guy, Brian Bickle, tying the game, and Dave Boland winning the game 17 seconds later in that one. This was more dramatic than that because of its improbability. Skating five-on-five five with no goaltender, and you manage to tie the game. You still have three and a half minutes, maybe 350 of penalty left to kill on Hosa's major. You kill it. Hosa gets the puck on his stick, and he's the guy who comes in and wins the game. Amazing. An amazing, amazing athlete. A tremendous leader. In his 19-year NHL career, Marion Hossa accrued 525 goals, 609 assists. At the time he scored number 500, he was the 44th player to do so. When he appeared in that 2010 Stanley Cup final, Blackhawks versus the Flyers, it was his third straight Stanley Cup final And it was his third straight different team. He had gone to the final the previous year as a member of the Red Wings. They lost to the Penguins. He was with the Penguins the previous year who lost to the Red Wings. So he couldn't win for losing as he was, as he was ring searching. And why wouldn't you be after an amazing career that began with the Ottawa Senators once upon a time? Hosa was at that time, there's only been one guy to do it since, but he became at that time the first player to appear in back-to-back-to-back cup finals on different teams. He's only going to be the third player, or he is only the third player now in NHL history who had a jersey number in the 80s retired by his team. Blackhawks now have a bunch of jerseys, sweater numbers, you should say. Um, 81, of course, going up last night at the United Center on Marion Hosa night. Eric Lindros had his 88 retired by the Flyers years ago. And a decade or so ago, the Columbus Blue Jackets retired jersey number 80 to honor their young goaltender, Matisse Kulinix, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who had died in a fireworks accident uh, only, uh, what, 20, 26 years old or something like that. But only three players with their jersey numbers in the 80s retired by NHL teams. Marion Hosa was enshrined in Hockey's Hall of Fame in 2020. When I think of of Hosa, I think more than anything of that fifth game in the first round in 2010. They beat the Predators in game six. I didn't finish that story. Uh, and then they went on to, uh, to win the Stanley Cup, of course. And uh, three times the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. And Marion Hosa's career would have gone even longer if he didn't suffer from just an absolutely brutal brutal case of eczema the the skin irritation which is is almost impossible to shake if you're a hockey player because of the level of you cannot rid your gear 
of bacteria. And when you sweat and that bacteria re-enters your pores, if you have extreme cases of eczema, you can get very, very sick. Uh, one of the broadcasters for the Minnesota Wild is a guy who once upon a time, Tom Reed is his name, spent time with the Blackhawks, but more known as a Minnesota North Star. His career ended for the same reason. He almost died, and I had him on a show once to talk about that skin condition that uh, that that had him on life support. His immune system had broken down, and he was down to 140 pounds or something in a hospital bed, and uh, it's a very, very serious thing. So Hosa now 43 years old. Good to see the smile on his face last night. There has not been very much to smile about regarding these Blackhawks in recent years. But when I think of Hosa, I think of championships, and I think of uh, the greatest parody song in the history of Chicago sports radio, the uh, the midday combination of McNeil and Spiegel, which was Lennon and McCartney for sports radio parodies. My apologies to all fans of the Beatles for making that analogy. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. I'm going to do it again Friday morning. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Lots to be thankful for. If your family and friends are healthy, that's most important. That's what I'm holding on to this holiday season because I have a wife who loves me and three wonderful sons, and uh, they all are in relationships. The two who do not have autism are in wonderful relationships. And Patrick, my autistic son, is as happy as as anybody I know, and uh, that's really, as a parent, all you can wish for. I want to thank Adam Delibit, who is the baby Capone from Bet Rivers Podcast Network. He's the guy who is giving me these opportunities twice a week to talk football and occasionally a little hockey with you. Sam Michael is my executive producer. Be back again later in the week. Have a wonderful holiday. Enjoy Monday Night Football. For now, I'm Danny Mac, and I'm Taillights. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. 